for Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. I'm Nick Hennon, and this is SciVibe. Electricity is going to become increasingly vital to helping our country meet their national goals, both in terms of economic vitality and clean energy, addressing climate change challenges. In all these aspects, we've seen phenomenal change in the last 20 years. And going forward, we'll continue to see increased reliance on electricity to help us clean up our energy system overall. Science. Technology. Scientific discovery. This is SciVibe. I'm excited about this podcast. Carl Imhoff is our guest today, and Carl is well-known as one of the nation's top grid experts, recognized for his long history of advancing grid modernization in the region and across the country. Imhoff and his colleagues here at the lab are working on technologies to increase the flexibility of the power grid, including next-generation energy storage for making the most of fluctuating resources like wind and solar power. Imhoff also leads the Department of Energy's Grid Modernization Laboratory Consortium. What that does is bring together leading experts, technologies, and resources from 14 of the national labs to work collaboratively on key national challenges. Recently, Carl was awarded the 2021 Grid Innovator Award from the Industry Association Grid Forward, and the editors of Smart Grid today named him among 50 recognized smart grid pioneers. Carl's a great guy. I'm pretty hyped to be here right now. Thank you, Nick. Happy to be here. This is going to be fun. So I have, I guess my first question is, I remember reading something about your father being a department head in the industrial engineering department at University of Arkansas. That's right. And so you spent a lot of time there on campus. What was that like? Well, it it was a wonderful extension of our family. The department had a a wonderful faculty. And as a kid, we used to get to go to all the various picnics for the honor societies, etc. And uh, some of the grad students were my babysitters when I was a little kid. And <laughs> I remember climbing up to the top floor of the engineering building where they'd set up an ability to listen to Sputnik <laughs> as it was uh, going overhead. That was creating quite a, quite a stir then, obviously, across the U.S. And that was one of my earliest memories. That's really cool. So it was fun growing up in university town. Oh, yeah, I bet. And inspiring, you know, being around that group of people. Did that light your fire then in engineering initially? That's what drew me to engineering. My my initial attraction was to computer simulation and large-scale math models or optimization kind of things. That's what took me to grad school up at Purdue, where I wanted to sharpen some of those kind of skills and had some outstanding professors at Purdue in, in public policy as well. And that's where I got intrigued with the notion of energy and energy conservation and working at the interface between engineering, but then public policy and energy policy. Did you have a mentor that inspired you along the way, either at University of Arkansas or at Purdue? At the University of Arkansas, a professor that was very influential for me uh, was named Hamdi Taha, and he was one of the early pioneers in the area of operations research, which was mathematical optimization on various engineered systems. And he was just a brilliant teacher, a wonderful man. I spent a lot of times uh, on hikes with them, and we used to canoe with their family. But Hamdi was an awesome teacher, and uh, he enabled me to see ways that mathematics and optimization could have big positive effects on people's lives. And that that carries over to a lot of what the work that goes on in the power system as well. It's it's all a a lot of uh, matrix algebra and optimization, both for markets and how the system performs. And 
And so I've always been kind of intrigued by some of those concepts. And I really attribute those to the time I spent with Hamdi Taha as a student. Mm, that's really powerful. And, you know, a good mentor can make all the difference. That's right. So you graduate from Purdue and you're at PNNL within a year. How did that go down? Well, it, that's an interesting story. I had pretty much decided I was going to go work for a, a consulting firm uh, down in Albuquerque. But uh, when I was presenting my graduate work at, for DOE, we were in the Dubliner Bar by the train station. We were having a couple beers with the clients before we headed to the airport. And there was a person from PNL at the table who happened to know our client. And he sort of slid his business card across the table and said, well, you know, before you make any final decisions, why don't you come out and visit PNL?" I knew nothing <laughs> about national laboratories. <laughs> but growing up, I had a great passion for the wilderness and for hiking and skiing and Nice. I came out to visit, and I was impressed by two things. Ooh, I'm excited to hear this. What were the two things? One, I was impressed by the fact that PNL was working the nexus of energy and public policy. Uh, and then number two, there were seven wilderness areas within 150 mile radius of Richland. Oh yeah. And I said, you know, that'd be an awesome place to go for a couple of years, and then maybe go back to school. And so that's that was it's kind of a random event that got me to come to PNL. What an awesome story. And speaking of wilderness, you know, from young on up, it seems like a place that inspires you. So from a young age, I've been uh, very connected. My, my parents are very active in the Ozark Society in Arkansas, which is a, a group that was a canoeing club, but they also help preserve the Buffalo River, which is now in the national park system. Wow. Uh, very uh, influential in my early days. was lucky enough to spend a lot of time in New Mexico and Colorado and all growing up within Boy Scouts. So I developed a, a love of outdoor adventure and, and sort of extreme backpacking and all. And so when I came to the Pacific Northwest, I re-engaged that and continued it with my own sons and a lot of my friends over the years. In fact, I spent about three or, three or four weekends out on the Pacific Coast Trail this past summer. Oh, yeah. Nice. I bet that was great. Yes. And there's nothing like it. You need a break. You go outside into nature. Maybe you go on a hike and you come back so much more recharged. Absolutely. I find it a, a great way to gather my thoughts. Uh, in fact, oftentimes there's a, a location in Oregon uh, where we're developing a, a ranch into, for the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. And, and uh, after a hard day uh, of work at, at either you know, uh, felling trees or doing other things on the, on the property, it's, it's a great place to sit in front of the fireplace and, and do some writing. Uh, it, it's a great, great way for me to kind of connect and, and get my head clear and, and, and think about uh, how to communicate on, on key reports or testimony, that sort of thing. Sure, I can totally see that. What are the prospects of electricity becoming more central to the American life? Great question, Nick. Electricity is going to become increasingly vital to helping our country meet their national goals, both in terms of economic vitality and clean energy, addressing climate change challenges. In all these aspects, we've seen phenomenal change in the last 20 years in terms of the electrification and the digitization of our uh, commerce uh, activities, the internet, computers. And going forward, we'll continue to see increased reliance on electricity to help us clean up our energy system overall. That's both on the generation of electricity. It'll help us uh, reduce emissions from transportation as we electrify the transportation fleets. I think that the digitization of commerce activity will, will increase substantially. And so electricity will become increasingly central to all of the things we do from an economic standpoint and also helping us address some of the environmental challenges that are so important to the globe. Mm -hmm, for sure. Carl, why does the grid need to change? 
So the, the grid has to accommodate the evolution of our way of life in terms of economy and technology. The future of our economy is going to enable or, or be reflected by uh, more choice, individual choice, uh, because of the tools and concepts that we're enabled as we have more and more uh, digital intelligence in our everyday appliances and, and products that we use. Uh, you, you see it in transportation. Yes. We're going to want to have more autonomy in terms of vehicle charging and all for electric vehicles in our life going forward. And so throughout everything, the grid is going to have to find ways to deliver what we need when we want it at the quality we want it. And it's going to require more decision-making and control out at the grid edge. Uh, The utilities themselves won't be able to sort of make all of those decisions because the demands that we place on them in terms of how we want to use electricity are changing so dramatically. Utilities will continue to be a vital part of that whole ecosystem. Individual consumers want to make more choices on their own, have more information on their own. Right. And be able to uh, help make decisions that will uh, inform how they use energy going forward for their work, their play, and their security. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. What would you say are some of the most enlightening innovations over the years? Like you've been a part of this so central to your life for so long that there has been some innovations that have changed the game. Can you think of a couple? Well, I think one big game changer has been the evolution of high resolution sensors. Okay. We call them phaser measurement units. They give us incredible resolution on seeing voltage and frequency and phase angle across thousands of miles in the grid, 60 to 120 samples a second. And that, that's just transformed our ability to watch the system dynamics and look for risks that might be lurking there that historically operators would no ability to see. And so it lets us run the system more effectively, more efficiently, and, and with less risk. That's important. I think another big transition that's just been phenomenal was the evolution of the and availability of natural gas as some of the uh, extraction techniques improved. Right. Uh, you know, over the last decade, the increased use of cleaner natural gas has been phenomenal in terms of changing the generation mix of the United States. And while it is a fossil fuel, it, it is cleaner than some of the traditional fossil fuels we used. It really... I think, began the journey towards transforming our our generation mix. That's been a very huge change over the last uh, decade in terms of the the overall U.S. energy uh, system. And I think, obviously, the the notion of computing, as it's evolved from the the computers of the early 80s when when the personal computers uh, came out, as well as advanced or high-performance computing uh, that more recently we've seen, they, they have taken what the utilities typically used to take two or three days to analyze or compute. It's down to two or three minutes or two or three seconds. Wow. And so what used to be day ahead planning now can be done sort of in, in near real time for operators. So our ability to see and control the power system has just been totally transformed. And I think that will continue as we go forward with some of the next generation activities in play. That's really cool. And the last thing I will mention is as we get more computers and more digitization in the system, the volume and velocity of data related to energy has just been growing incredibly. And we're seeing a lot of new mathematical concepts and machine learning and AI that enable us to handle data sets much larger and faster than we've ever even dreamed of. 
and extract value out of those data sets to help us, again, have a more reliable and, and secure power system. So th- those are four really big transformative activities that I've seen just in the last several decades. Wow. It's amazing the advances that have occurred. And I think looking forward, we're going to see faster, more impactful changes, which is really exciting. Carl, is there one thing you're looking forward to about the future? My grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That leads me to this. What are you doing when you're not solving the toughest grid challenges? Well, I I love backpacking, getting up in the wilderness uh, parts of the country and doing some high country fly fishing. I'm also active in helping uh, the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts develop a a ranch in the Blue Mountains of Northeast Oregon. So I spend a number of weekends down there uh, helping that ranch develop. It's about 3,500 acres. And my wife and I love getting together with our children, our sons. We have three sons, and so we travel and spend time with them, and that, that pretty much covers it. No, that's really great. You know, family is everything. So one last question, please. What does it feel like, you know, to change the world? Well, I I find it uh, exciting to work with people, helping them identify problems and find a common approach to uh, delivering a solution. I just just love working in groups. And, and, you know, in the grid space, we we get the the benefit of working with people here at this lab, other labs and universities, and also with industry. So it's really, uh, you know, it's a team effort and always just enjoy finding solutions to make life better for others. It's a great big challenge, and it's not going anywhere. It just The work continues, doesn't it? Well, there's always another challenge around every corner. Yeah, so true. Carl, thank you so much for taking time on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Nick. It was fun. Thanks for listening to SciVibe. We're dedicated to sharing the excitement of discovery. If you had an aha moment while listening to SciVibe, please share and subscribe.